All right, welcome in, welcome in, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. Ryan Bell, your host. I'm joined today by Ben Mandel, Corey Jason, and finally making his return, Dylan Mel. So glad to have the full group with us here today. We've had a lot of fun the last couple weeks playing some games, playing the NFL What If a couple weeks ago. Last week, Ben, Corey, and I played the NFL Would You Rather. But today, we got to get serious because we actually have news to talk about. Odell Beckham jr signed with the baltimore ravens in it looks on the outside like an attempt that lamar jackson will be staying with the baltimore ravens i personally think for every day something does not happen that it's more likely that lamar jackson will return to baltimore but don i saw out on your socials you don't think that's necessarily the case yeah ryan i um I think that this was potentially a leverage move from both sides. I don't think we're anywhere closer to a deal before the Odell Beckham Jr. signing. Obviously, Lamar and Odell had communications beforehand, and now Lamar's saying, hey, you signed Odell, and he wants me to be the quarterback. You should pay me. And the Ravens are saying, hey, we paid this star wide receiver for you. You should take a pay cut. And I don't see how the money issue really changes unless one of these sides caves in. And is Odell really a big enough piece to change that? I don't think so. I think we could still be heading towards a Lamar Jackson departure. And I don't think a move is going to happen until after the draft anyways, because none of these teams want to lose their draft picks for this year. Nobody wants to offer Lamar a contract without having the best roster possible. And that includes first round talent from this year's draft. Guys, we all know what I've been saying really since we've started this pod, right? That Lamar isn't leaving Baltimore. And to me, this was like the, yeah, I'm right moment because two things. Odell doesn't go to Baltimore unless he knows who's throwing him the ball because his other option was to walk right into Ethan Rutherford and have Aaron Rodgers toss it to him because he's still going to be a Jet. So, Odell won't go to Baltimore unless he knows Lamar Jackson will be throwing him the ball. And now Lamar knows that the Ravens are getting him that number one alpha wide receiver. Granted, Odell hasn't been at that level recently, but his legs are fresh now. Coming off of injury, but he's 100% healthy. So Lamar will be a Raven. It's a matter of when, not if. And I'm sure they'll meet together on the numbers and Lamar is going to get exactly what he wants. Yeah, I'm actually right in between you two. I could see both sides. I really feel like the Ravens are in a spot where they, they don't go get Odell unless Lamar's coming back. But at the same time, they still needed to get a wide receiver. Whether Lamar's the quarterback or not, you needed a wide receiver. So they go get Odell. I don't think Odell's the kind of guy that pushes the needle anymore. I think he's a complimentary wide receiver at best. When he, If he's healthy, he can be dynamic still, but he's not that number one alpha guy anymore. He's just not. The speed isn't there. He's coming off of another major injury. I love the guy. I'm really happy that he didn't go to Dallas. I'm really happy he didn't go to the Jets. But, I mean, I don't, I don't really care about the Jets as much as you do, Corey, but, you know, I I just think for this doesn't necessarily change things as much as people think. I think no matter what, the Ravens needed a wide receiver, whether it's Huntley at quarterback or whether it's Lamar Jackson, whether they lose Lamar and go get Richardson in the draft. I think that the big thing 
for the Ravens was getting a wide receiver. They got someone at least to fill a spot. They still have more work to be done. And, you know, they still have to meet Lamar on that number. It doesn't matter that they paid Odell Beckham. Yeah, Ben, I think you bring up an excellent point there. And one that really deserves to be talked about, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. got a lot of money from Baltimore. Pretty much everybody agreed it was an overpay. And that's where I disagree with Corey in terms of why would he sign there? Odell's coming off of two ACL injuries. If somebody's willing to throw him $15 million, he's willing to play there with even just the chance that it's a playoff roster. And if it's not, if they lose Lamar, who does it doesn't hurt the Ravens to pay Odell that money to help develop a young rookie quarterback if they were to get you know, an Anthony Richardson, a Will Levis, a Hendon Hooker in the draft. They want that guy to have weapons to help develop. Mark Andrews is there and they have a great running game. But you want a good star wide receiver either way. And Odell can serve that purpose for them if Lamar leaves. Yeah, well, you're right from the Ravens point of view that it doesn't hurt them to sign Odell to this contract. They have the money. Why not use it? Because no matter who's your quarterback, you at least have a solid wide receiver to help. But selfishly, my favorite part of this whole contract is that it's a one-year deal, meaning we'll have a whole nother offseason of will Odell come home to the Giants, especially when the Giants should have even more cap space next year and another year with another need for wide receiver. So that really gets me excited because it delays the inevitable of Odell never coming home by giving me a slight bit of hope that he will come back and be with Big Blue. We could be having these Odell discussions a year from now. You're right, Corey. We could also still be having these Lamar Jackson discussions a year from now. If he does play on the franchise tag and stay in Baltimore, this whole saga will just have another iteration of it. Uh, It's just interesting. I wonder to myself, will the Lamar Jackson situation resolve before or after the Aaron Rodgers situation resolves? But earlier today... Tuesday, April 11th here in 2023, we had a couple of trade developments going on down in the NFC South, probably the murkiest of the divisions uh, seemingly for 2023. Jeff Okuda, the former third overall pick in 2020 by the Detroit Lions, and that was during the Matt Patricia days, was traded to the Atlanta Falcons for just a fifth round pick. I want to note this fifth round pick was what Atlanta got in return for Calvin Ridley. So Atlanta seemingly flips Calvin Ridley for a young corner taken highly in the draft, similarly to how the Giants essentially flip Kadarius Tony for Darren Waller. But what do you guys make of this for Atlanta, Detroit, and Jeff Okuda? You know, it's not the first time we've seen a team move off of a young cornerback who was a high pick from Ohio State. And, you know, the Giants did it with Eli Apple. He somehow managed to stay relevant. I like the move for the Falcons because it's a low-risk, high-reward kind of thing. You're not really giving up much in a fifth-round pick. And who knows, you might end up getting that lockdown corner that the Lions had hoped to have in Akuda. I don't think he's that good. I think there's a reason why Detroit just let him go. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he can be something for Atlanta. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the moves that Atlanta's been making this offseason um, on the defensive side of the ball, especially. They signed safety Jesse Bates, brought in Calais Campbell, traded for Jeff Okuda today, re-signed Lorenzo Carter, inactivated Eddie Goldman, and they still have the number eight overall pick. You know, you mentioned it, Ryan, this division's really murky. 
right? The NFC South feels like it's going to be one of those divisions for the taking year after year for the foreseeable future. And Atlanta's putting themselves in a good position to take this division, not this upcoming year, but next year. You know, do they have a high draft pick and get a Caleb Williams? If the case, are they the next team that runs that division yet again? Do they go after Lamar Jackson post-draft? You know, I'm sure Lamar would like to play in Atlanta. It's a very popular city. Then they could win the division this year. But overall, Atlanta's making some good moves, and I like the, like Ben said, not a lot of risk and potentially high reward in the Jeff Okuda deal. Yeah, I really love what Atlanta's doing. They're being really sneaky with how they're improving this team. I know a lot of people would say as fans, you know, why couldn't we give up a fifth-round pick for Okuda? He was just a first-rounder a few years ago. But, you know, Atlanta did it. He struggled with the Lions, and he doesn't fit with every scheme. He's not really like a press man corner. So if you have a press man defensive scheme, he's still not going to be that good. So I guess what Atlanta's building on their defense is something that he's more able to uh, be apt to. And they don't need him to be a number one corner, right? They just need him to lock down and do what he can do and kind of improve. He's still young and he could still develop. And he still has that talent that made him a first round draft pick. So this is just a really good move for a really a nothing day three pick. And, you know, if you told me a year ago that Calvin Ridley was traded for uh, Jeff Okuda, I would have thought that was a solid deal one for one anyway. So I think this is a good move. Yeah, it's funny how things sometimes even out like that, even after the fact. But for Detroit, I think this move is telling that I had them pegged for them taking one of the better cornerback prospects. Uh, they have a pick. I forget if it's fifth or sixth overall, but I like guys like Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez to them at that pick. So this move just, I think, further puts gasoline on the fire, so to speak, that that's the direction I think they'll end up going. Okuda, like I said at the top, was a Matt Patricia-era Lions pick, and I just don't think he fits the vision for what Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes want to build up in the Motor City. And for Atlanta, Corey, you said Okuda doesn't need to be a lockdown corner because they have A.J. Terrell on the other side. So already one of the better corners there, and Dylan mentioned they bring in Jesse Bates. So they've sneakily built a really good secondary as long as it all comes to fruition. Yeah, Ryan, and I do want to just speak on your point about the Lions. They also brought in C.J. Gardner-Johnson this offseason, so that allows for more flexibility to move a guy like Okuda, especially if you do plan to go secondary or corner specifically with that top 10 pick. Yeah, absolutely. So the Atlanta Falcons bringing in talent, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might be losing one of their better players. Devin White, a former fifth overall pick in 2019, has requested a trade. He's entering a fifth-year option year, and look, he wants to get paid. Tampa Bay really does not have much in terms of cap space. You saw some of the contracts here. Bobby Okereke, four years, $40 million from the Giants. Tremaine Edmonds, four years, $72 million from the Bears. They had plenty of cap space to spare. And Roquan Smith was traded from those Bears to the Ravens for a second rounder. Then Baltimore turned around and gave him a five-year, $100 million deal. So, Devin White, to me, deserves to get paid, but where do you guys think he could end up if he does? Maybe Tampa does their best to retain him. Yeah, Devin White is a field general, absolute beast at the linebacker position, and every team should be in on Devin White. There's 
not a team that has too many linebackers. Maybe you could argue Dallas does, but even at that, I still think every team should at least give Devin White a look and see how they could make a trade happen. You know, selfishly, I want him to end up in Philly. I don't really know what a realistic spot for Devin White is, mostly because I don't believe that Tampa is sold on dealing him. The NFC South, a very winnable division. They want to give it their best go this year. You still have guys like Evans, Godwin, and they bring in Baker. They want to see what they have in a former number one overall pick. I'm sure they want to give it the best shot at success this year. And if they lose Devin White for nothing, perhaps so be it. Or maybe it's more of a trade deadline deal similar to Roquan Smith. But I don't see something happening this offseason. Yeah, the Bucks don't want to move him. He's on his fifth-year option deal, and I'm sure they want to try to work out a long-term solution for him. They can kind of finagle the money in the cap space because, as we've seen other teams do, like the Saints and the Cowboys, the cap's not real. So they want to keep him. He wants out. And when we've seen players want out, they tend to get what they want. They tend to get out. So I'm not sure what's a good fit for him. Again, I'd love him on the Giants, too selfishly just like Dylan wants him on the Eagles and I just think any team's a great fit for him because he's just somebody that will get home get at the quarterback just somebody that will rush the passer play the run game well there's a couple of clips floating around Twitter that he's taking plays off but I'm sure every player takes plays off and this is just something to kind of sully his name I don't think he goes for as high of a pick as Roquan Smith went for I do think we can see Devin White had for a fourth rounder, maybe a third, and that's about it. Because I just think the trade market with that is kind of overblown. I think it's something that it's interesting to see, but I think teams are realizing that if you don't make a trade for this player, there's a good chance they'll hit free agency and you can just you know pay money for them, and then you get to keep your pick as well. So I, that's something I'm interested to see is what he goes for. But I would I would expect a fourth, maybe a third at most, and that's about it. Definitely not a first, and I'm I'd be shocked if it was even a second. I think you know, Dylan, you brought up maybe the Cowboys are one of the teams that has too many linebackers. I was actually going to say I think the only team that shouldn't be going after him is San Francisco because they already have Fred Warner, and that's the kind of player that you know, White can be. He can go out there and make these kinds of plays. He is that field general. He can cover sideline to sideline like there's like it's nobody's business. You're not running the ball on him. And when he's out there, the middle of the field is gone. And really, it should just be everybody going all in, trying to get this guy. I think he's going to end up getting paid. I don't see him signing an extension with anybody if he isn't staying with Tampa Bay. Because why sign an extension when there very well could be a bidding war going on for this linebacker? Because I think behind a guy like Fred Warner, he is one of the best linebackers in the league. Yeah, Devin White, the talent is certainly real. To Corey's point, the cap space sometimes doesn't appear to be real. But what is real is the fact that the NFL draft is just a little over two weeks away. So what we're going to do now is move into our last segment here. We're going to go over some of our favorite offensive prospects. Now, we're not going to talk any of the quarterbacks. We did that already, and we're going to do it even more leading into the draft. So tonight is all about skill position and the big guys up front, the offensive linemen. So if it's all right with you guys, I want to give my first one. And Ben's going to love this. I have just 
fallen in love with the talent that is Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia. He is a complete tight end. He's known as a great run blocker. And if the combine is any indication, he can make those highlight real catches as well. Now, I like to rib on him that he didn't get that second foot inbounds. That's not going to fly in the NFL, but still a great performance there. Super athletic. I think he could fit into just about any offense in the NFL. And I'll be looking for him to go. I mean, to me, he has the highest ceiling of the tight ends here in this class. I think Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer could end up getting drafted ahead of him. But for Darnell Washington, late first-round pick, maybe falls into the middle of the second. But teams like Dallas, who just lost Dalton Schultz, Seattle could be a team. They have a lot of draft capital still from that Russell Wilson trade. Uh, To add another weapon there for Geno Smith and to pair along with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Ken Walker, that could be a very explosive offense. Cincinnati is another team that could look to add uh, a weapon at tight end. Going into the second round then, uh, Vegas, they just traded away Darren Waller. Carolina, they're making a lot of moves, so and ex- expected that they'll take a quarterback first overall, so why not give him a big weapon to throw to down the middle? And then Green Bay, of course. We talk about Green Bay potentially taking uh, like someone like Dalton Kincaid in the first round, so maybe if they go a different direction there, they could snag Darnell Washington in the second round. I mean, can you imagine Darnell Washington and DK Metcalf standing next to each other? Like, <laughs> that would just be such a funny, funny scene. But, you know, I watch, obviously, being the Georgia fan, love Darnell Washington. This is a guy who can go out there and make highlight real catches and beast mode Marshawn Lynch type runs. Like, he is just a massive, massive dude. The guy goes out there and makes plays, fantastic run blocker. My uh, honestly biggest concern with him would be health. Uh, when your body's that big, it doesn't tend to hold up as much. And we saw injuries start to linger him a little bit throughout the season the past couple of years. So definitely something to look out for there with Darnell Washington. But the guy I want to talk about, the offensive tackle from Ohio State, Paris Johnson Jr. You know, this is his first season at left tackle, and I thought he was great. He only yielded um, 14 pressures on 449 pass blocking snaps. He's six foot six, 310 pounds. He has all the physical boxes checked. He's everything you would want in a tackle. The guy can pass block. The run blocking is a little suspect, but only a year at tackle. He's someone who can definitely go out there and make plays for you. Definitely look out for Paris Johnson. I don't necessarily think he would be a top 10 pick, but look out for him in like the mid to late first round. Yeah, Ben, there's certain conferences where you just like to draft certain positions and the Big Ten and offensive linemen. That's something that I personally really like. Now I'm going to move over to the SEC here, and I want to talk about running back Jameer Gibbs. I know a lot of the hype is around Bijan Robinson at running back, and rightfully so. But some of these other running backs are kind of getting swept under the rug like Gibbs. He's 5'9", 200 pounds. And he's out of Alabama, who has a really solid history of producing some great running backs. Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, the list goes on. He's the clear number two running back in this draft for me. And with where he's projected to go, he's going to be able to make a difference on the Super Bowl roster. He's got great acceleration, makes excellent cuts, and is a three-down running back. Now, like a lot of young running backs, this guy does sometimes have uh, an issue with being a little flashy, trying to extend plays instead of just taking the yards that he gets. But again, the teams that are going to be getting this guy 
he could really add to a Super Bowl level offense if the Bengals decide to go off of Joe Mixon with everything going on. They could bring in Jameer Gibbs. You know, Buffalo, they brought in Damian Harris and have James Cook, but we're always talking about them when it comes to running backs. But I'm going to be honest, this was a little bit of a plug because I think Philly might be the spot to take Gibbs at 30. They brought in Rashad Penny this offseason, but he's just not a guy who's consistently stayed healthy. You have Boston Scott and you have Kenneth Gainwell. Are those guys that are going to lead your running back room into the playoffs if Penny's not healthy? They were rumored to take Bijan at 10 for a little while there. It's kind of died down. And Mel Kuyper has the Eagles actually getting Gibbs in his most recent mock draft. He had them trading down to do so, but still around that 30 range, I think this could be a great pick. Dylan, I don't want to hear any more uh, Boston Scott slander out of you. I've seen him run way too much over my team to think that he can't lead a backfield. My goodness, man. He is a stud. I'm, though, going to move and go over to probably the most talked about uh, aspect of the draft, which outside of quarterback would be the wide receivers, because I'm not sure if this is actually a good class or not. I think that this is probably one of the towards the worst end of classes that we've seen recently. Guy I'm going to talk about is from the ACC. I'm going to go Zay Flowers from Boston College. He's a bit of a slot guy, right? He's 5'9", 182. He's not big. Did run a 4'4", 240, though. So he's got some quickness to him. I actually was lucky enough to see him play this year. Rutgers uh, played at Boston College, first game of the season. Me and a group of friends drove up there, rented an Airbnb, did our fantasy draft up there, went to the game, watched him torch us. His stat line from that game, 10 receptions, 117 yards, and two touchdowns just decimated us, especially going against a guy like Max Melton, who this time next year we could be talking about as a borderline first-round pick, most likely early day two. So he's somebody that you can generally put in the slot and he'll succeed. He can also move outside and have some success. And that's going to be a really big factor on where he goes. If teams view him as somebody that can work the outside a little bit, he'll go higher. If he's only a slot guy, he's going to fall. And I think that either way, we might only see one wide receiver taken in day one total. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I just don't see the success in this class. I think uh, Smith and Jigba is going to be the only guy that goes day one. Maybe somebody goes at the tail end of the first. Chiefs do need more wide receiver help. And I I just don't know. I think Zay Flowers, if he doesn't go somewhere in the 20s, I think he falls to day two. Same with uh, Jordan Addison and uh, everybody else really outside of uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. I think he's the only one guaranteed to go day one. This receiver class definitely seems a little more top-heavy than previous years. I still think we'll have a handful of receivers go in that first round. There's plenty of teams that want to add that extra jolt to their offense, but certainly I think we won't see, you know, guys like Alec Pierce showed some flashes, George Pickens. Uh, I mean, you think Christian Watson was a second round pick technically, even though he was one of the first ones, but guys like that chase Claypool from a couple years ago. I don't think the depth is there at receiver as much as previous years this year, but I think Zay flowers will find a good home. Maybe like you said, probably somewhere in the twenties, but I'll bring it back. We're going to go through another round here. Uh, ben talked about Paris Johnson, the other big offensive line prospect this year, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. Uh, I mean, 
he he played tackle in college, but man, he would make an amazing guard at the next level. And I, sometimes, you know, we say that a lot about guys moving from tackle at college to guard in the NFL. It's like sort of a natural thing, unless you're an absolute elite prospect. And it's just a matter of, you know, you could be a good tackle or do you want an elite guard? So that's up for teams and, and the team that eventually drafts Skaronsky here, what their offensive line looks at that point, you know, where they might have a spot for him. But I mean, he's explosive. He's powerful, great run blocker. And their Northwestern, you know, the team I like the fit the most is right the backyard, the Chicago Bears. They traded down from one all the way to the ninth pick with that in that Carolina trade. Uh, continue to build around Justin Fields. And at this point, you could do it however you need to, whether it's getting him weapons, putting an offensive line in front of him. This would be a great pick. But I could see a few more picks later. The Jets could continue to build their offensive line and, and – Please, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, New England's always a wild card right there. They could pull a, a rabbit out of their hat and go Skaronsky if he's there. And then Green Bay and Pittsburgh are two teams that have picks here in like the middle of the first round. I think Pittsburgh definitely goes O-line, whether it's Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, someone else. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about Darnell Washington going to Green Bay in the second round. They could get both of these guys. The Packers can't. Skaronsky and Washington. Yeah, Ryan, I want to move it over to a wide receiver prospect that Corey mentioned. And, you know, he's my favorite wide receiver. Many people's favorite wide receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, six foot one, 195 out of Ohio State. And recently, Ohio State has really produced some solid wide receivers. Just last year, we saw Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson perform excellent. And Smith Jigma is a guy who has outperformed these two at Ohio State in 2021 on multiple times. You know, he kills the zone defense. All of a sudden you look up and he's wide open. I know the comp isn't perfect, but he reminds me a little bit of Cooper Cup earlier in his career when you just kind of look up and you're like, oh, this guy's open. And then you're like, whoa, this guy is speeding down the sideline. It's sneaky. It sneaks up on you. I think he could really be a top tier slot wide receiver in this league. And of course we saw Cooper cup, take that jump to just being a top tier wide receiver. I don't want to just jump and say that that's the case because like Corey said, I don't think this wide receiver class is the strongest, but if a team like Houston were to draft Smith Majigma at 12, After getting C.J. Stroud at two, that would be a real safety blanket for him and really help his development. I think that that is the perfect fit. You know, reports coming out that Bryce Young is the guy for Carolina. Could be an interesting duo to see at the pro level as well. I'm going to build off of what Dylan was saying earlier about the running back position, right? Another running back that's really looked at highly is B. John Robinson. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, right? What's the value of a running back now? You can't take one top 10 anymore. I I don't think anybody's going to do what the Giants did with Saquon, the Cowboys did with Zeke, or the Panthers did with CMC, right? So where's the sweet spot? Do you even bother taking one day one? I think we'll see one running back taking day one this year, and that'll be Bijan. Now, where he goes is going to be an interesting question. He could go to the Eagles, like Dylan was mentioned earlier, and how they do have a need for running back. He could go to the Chiefs. He can go really anywhere that needs a a running back. But do you really want to use day one capital on somebody who 
really should end up being in kind of a committee just because running backs are really run down so much. Over the last two seasons, Bijan Robinson, he's had 226 and a half carries uh, average between the last two years. That's a lot of work on his legs. He's used a lot. And, you know, he's got tremendous stats, right? 258 rushes this year, 1,580 yards. That's 6.1 yards per, per carry, plus 18 touchdowns. And then in the receiving game, he's had 19 receptions for 314 yards and two touchdowns. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades back. He's not great short yardage, and he's he's not a great power back. But, you know, he's a good every-down back, good pass catcher, and he's decent blocking. So he's somebody that can get you there on all three downs, but that's not the way the NFL is moving. The way the NFL is moving is teams need to have two decent backs in order to spell each other and kind of get that going to give each other rest and keep everybody healthy. So is it worth taking him in the first round? If you think the talent level's there, sure, but you better have a good backup plan later on just in case. So I'm going to talk about a, a wide receiver, and this is someone who actually went and visited the Giants today. I was going to talk about Quentin Johnston, but the more I was looking into him, the more I really you know, was understanding his player comparison to Alshon Jeffrey, and he's just very inconsistent and seems like a big athlete who doesn't know how to catch the football with how inconsistent he is. Um, so the guy I want to talk about, it's Jalen Hyatt, a 4-4-40 time. You know, this is a guy who's quick and was an absolute star for Tennessee this past season. They were one of the most dynamic offenses in the entire country in all the college football, and Jalen Hyatt was a big reason for that. I think he's someone who can certainly help a team um, – you know, get things going offensively. I think if a team like the Giants were to draft them, their wide receiver room would look a whole lot better. They would look fantastic with what they've brought in. Add Darren Waller to the mix. Jalen Hyatt add, comes into the wide receiver room as well. This is a very, very strong uh, wide receiver team. And I think that Jalen Hyatt will make a team better, whether it is the New York Giants or some other team who drafts him in more than likely the second or third round. It'll be interesting to see where all these guys go, and it'll be interesting to see if we have any of these guys going in the first round in two weeks when we do the Outsider Sports Football Group Mock Draft the week of the NFL Draft. But that is going to do it for today's show. Keep tuning in with us. Stay with us. We're going to keep navigating the NFL offseason as more news comes out each and every day, each and every week. Next week, we're going to do the same idea. We're going to go over our favorite defensive prospects and then draft them. Like I said, in two weeks, we'll have that group mock draft. So stay with us. It's an exciting time to be a fan of the NFL with the draft right around the corner. But that's going to do it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Up. Up.